0: Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast. Exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. This passage today is so important. And we are at the season of Advent where we're talking about Mary. And the task that she had in birthing the Messiah. In the sixth month in the book of Luke... The Gospel of Luke says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And oh, would the Lord be with her indeed. Can you even imagine Mary was human, and so this means that we can imagine her reality because we're human too. And God is a God that gets in relationship and comes into life through humans. And this particular human's name was Mary. And the Lord would be with her But if I were her, I would have a few questions, okay? Let's think about this. We're going to think about our questions. I mean, talk about a terrifying encounter. This is a teenager's worst nightmare. First of all, why couldn't you have asked another virgin to do this, okay? I'm sure there are plenty of other decently faithful virgins in Nazareth. You know, Martha down the road, Gabriel, haven't you heard of her? She's very willing, I hear, to bear messiahs. Have you considered other people for this task? No wonder she is perplexed, it says in verse 29. Because after Gabriel tells her, the Lord is with you in this terrifying and mysterious encounter, this is what Gabriel says. Well, first she is perplexed, and I would be too, and she ponders what sort of greeting this might be. She has questions about this greeting. This is not the type of season's greetings that she had in mind, okay? Then the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now, oh, oh here's here's the part. So what does that favor look like exactly? Well, it see it seems that according to Gabriel, she will conceive in her womb and bear a son. And she will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Yeah, just just your average season's greetings. Sounds good, God. What a majestic moment between the divine where heaven comes down and kisses earth. And it gets a little messy and a little bit scary. No wonder she is perplexed. Some translations describe this word perplexed as very agitated or disturbed. And I think it makes good sense that she would feel that way. I would feel very agitated or even disturbed. Perhaps the angel then sees her fear. And so he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So you're saying, do not be afraid? I don't know about you, but in your deepest moments of fear, when a loved one or partner or friend tells you to not be afraid, how does, that, how does that go down for you? How does that work? Does your nervous system just calm right down? Oh, do not be afraid. Okay, good, good. Thank you, honey, for telling me that. And now I'm calm and everything's fine. Do not be afraid, it's the most common phrase in scripture. And so it's one that we as people of faith or wrestling with faith, we have to get pretty familiar with because it shows up again and again and again. It seems that fear is a place that God dwells to. There is an important word here that I think is important that I wanna notice. The angel says her name. It isn't just another do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. It's do not be afraid, Mary. And that's the part that shifts the dynamic for me, at least. Because now, noticing the ways that the angel was seeing her and naming her. And that she felt seen in this moment. Favor and fear, being seen by God, having a task, a message from God, these feelings get all mixed up. And then the prophecy happens of what will happen to her. And so we have the question, and, and I want you to dig in with this with me. I know it's a Sunday, you might be sleepy, but I want you to dig in here. The question of consent. It's a, heavy, it's a heavy message, but I want you to go here with me. There's so much conversation now about the consent of women. And so scholars wrestle with the consent of Mary. And a lot of scholars just rush to that, this place that she said, let it be with me. Let it be. Let it be. This can happen. And she does end up saying that, okay? But something happens in between. And that's where we can sit with this tension. There's a tension here before our yes. God listens to our doubts. And we cannot take Mary's yes for granted, which we have as Christians. We've just benefited from her consent. We've been grateful that there's a Messiah. We really haven't spent probably a lot of time thinking about Mary. But this is, oh my goodness, it's, it's a human woman. It's a young woman who decides to risk everything to be part of the story of God. And so her moment of consent and how she gets there matters. We have to slow down in this story and realize that the body of a woman is central to the salvation of the world. You hear that? The body of a vulnerable woman is central to God's saving act among us. And God cares about her response. You see, this isn't a prophecy that's like a deliverance of bad news, that this is gonna happen no matter what, you better just deal with it, Mary. I read it differently. I read it as the God of the universe coming down to earth and getting vulnerable with a woman that he sees her full dignity. Her dignity matters in this moment. Her voice matters to God. This young woman speaks her truth back to the angel. Because listen to what she says. This is in our holy scripture. Mary said to the angel, young vulnerable woman says to the most high, human earthy, scared teenager says to the God of all creation. Do you see this dynamic? Do you see what incarnation is? It's a dialogue between us and God that God is willing to participate in and we are invited to speak forth in. See, this angel isn't just delivering bad news this angel is trusting her that she will say yes to deliver the good news do you hear that her yes matters because this is what she says in verse 34 how can this be i mean the the young woman she she knew how things worked okay i'm i don't think the sex education of the ancient near east was Maybe much better than it is in Texas. (laughs) But I will say that she knew a few things. Okay, she could put A and B together, and she knew that she needed A and B to get to C. And here is Gabriel coming in with some other mathematics, some divine calculations that are foreign to her and her knowledge. And so she says, how Can this be since I am a virgin? Do you know the courage that it must have taken to talk back to God? Think about that. In a tradition that teaches us to always be submissive, to never ask questions, to never share how we really feel, and just get over our fear, we have a perfect example of the mother of Jesus. Who talks back? She isn't just gonna say, okay, I guess so. You know, I'm a good Jewish girl and this is probably the right thing to do. My mom's not here to help me make this decision, but you know, it's probably right. She asks a question. She says, how can this be? And haven't you been in a moment in your life where maybe God's working on something in you? And you have a, how can this be percolating within you? God has a dream for your life or for your community or for your family, but you have a, how can this be? And it's like right down here. It's like right here. And Mary could have let it stay there, but instead she let her own voice rise to God. How can this be? Since I am a virgin, I'm sorry, good sir, but your math is not really adding up to me. Then the angel said to her Notice that the angel does not condemn her questioning. I don't see that. I'm looking at the text. And there could be a verse that says, Mary, shut up, your questions aren't valid. And it's just not there. It's not in verse 34b. There's no B to the verse. Because then the angel just continues the conversation, which is what God does when we speak our honest feelings. That is not the end of the conversation. My friends, that is when the conversation really begins. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in, the, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And in the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing, here's, here's the verse, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, we could sit here and and question if, if those logistics were good enough to subside all her fears. I don't know. There's some scary words in there. Overshadow. That's another way of saying overwhelmed in the scripture. But she knows she's not alone because her relative Elizabeth will also be going through pregnancy. And so God also invites her to know that this act of birthing a Messiah will be in community. She won't be alone. And then it's verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now between verse 37 and verse 38 is something I like to call the beginnings of faith. percolations of faith, the the genesis of faith, something happens between verse 37 and verse 38 that's a little bit mysterious to us. We won't ever have all the answers. We won't know exactly what happened within her to feel brave enough to say what she says in verse 38. It's it's kind of a dot, dot, dot situation in the scripture. And aren't those dot, dot, dots often where the holiest work happens? Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. What bravery. What magnificent faith to say yes to this divine project, this act of co-creation with God. But one thing that's also important to notice is that the angel departs after she gives Her consent. I would like to think, in my own wrestling with the text, that if she needed more time to think about it, the angel would have stayed. The angel would have stayed around. There would have been more wrestling, more prayer. I think it is so crucial in the story that the angel departs after she agrees. And God never really departs her, right? But this particular vignette in Scripture ends after she gives her yes. If you get anything from what I'm telling you today, it's that we cannot take Mary's faithful consent for granted. We just can't. Because it's a story of faith that can teach us how to have faith and there have been so many different ways of relating to Mary the Catholic Church um, no shade on the Catholic Church but the Catholic Church seems to relate to Mary as perhaps closer to God than every other human venerated as even more than saint divine in her own way. But in my opinion, this distances us from her in some ways and her story, her very human story. And so her fear and her faith, both, become harder for us to engage with and learn from. Now I'm gonna take you to the other side. Some in the evangelical community often avoid talking about Mary much Because it's all about Jesus. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It all comes down to Jesus. But they avoid talking about Mary much or they take her consent for granted. They assume she'll get there. Of course she'll say yes. Duh. What other choice does she really have? And they don't consider her yes to be significant. And... They don't ask themselves if they would've had the courage to do what she did, and they don't ask themselves even harder questions like, are we waiting for women's yeses now? I said it, I went in there. Do we value women as central to God's salvation in the world? Are we valuing the dignity of women? As the vessels who can bear the living God, whose bodies can make a way for Jesus to breathe among us. I think there's a holy middle ground. We don't have to venerate Mary as a God, but neither do we have to forsake a deep gratitude for her faithfulness and what she tells us about how God works. We can also be moved by the way God chooses a lowly virgin in the outskirts of Nazareth to call home because that is what happened, you see. God made a home within her. body and flesh heaven and earth they met together god trusted her with the good news god trusted her body to bear the good news and her agency and consent matters Reverend Will Gaffney says, well, she questions some of the dynamics of, of, of Mary's choice because how much choice did she really have, we might ask. But this is what she says. A close reading shows her presumably powerless in every way, but sufficiently empowered to talk back to the emissary of God, determine for herself, and grant what consent she could no matter the power of the one asking. No matter of the power of the one asking, consent still matters. And it is this bold consent that we have to give to. We can say yes to God. That's where this is really going. That's the point of all this. We get to say yes to God. Not out of obligation or out of fear of the consequences of saying no. How long have you done your faith like that? We can speak with our fear, but we can also listen with our faith. And then we can let our faith speak. And we can notice how our faith sounds different than our fear, but it's not apart from fear. You can hear it in her voice, right? How can this be is a question. Here am I is a statement. And whatever helps us get from question to statement with God is holy. In her stunning memoir, author Cole Arthur Riley, who writes um, black liturgies, she weaves together generational stories with spiritual meditations, and she has a whole chapter titled Fear, and this is what she writes about fear. I believe fear has the holy potential to draw out all in us. To lead us into deeper patterns of protection and trust. To mold us into people engaged in the unknown, capable of making mystery of it instead of terror. There is, my friends, nothing to fear. Because even fear itself has holy potential. In the Old Testament, we hear the word fear a lot. It's a different word because it's Hebrew instead of the Greek fear. But we hear fear not or or we hear fear the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, fear is connected to reverence and awe. And I've always been confused by that. And I think that a lot of our faith and its tradition has taught us that that means we should always be afraid of God. But that's not really what that means. Because I think what the Old Testament is speaking to is awe and reverence. Fear the Lord as in God is a big deal and God is more powerful than you. That's the kind of fear that that's speaking to. And that's the kind of fear that Mary has. She has a fear of God. She has a reverence for God. Fear has such holy potential. It has the potential to generate new things, new moments, new life. It has potential to lead us into a future with God and co-create a generation after us that can always remember our faith. And so my question for you, because this this is all a bit vague, how does it it apply to tomorrow, Jenna? Jenna? I want you to think about this in this season of Advent, this season of generation to generation. How will you be remembered? What yes do you need to say to God? Sit with your fear. Sit with it. The angel ain't going nowhere. But there's a yes rising up in you. There's a yes rising up in our faith community. And so we must be brave enough to sit with our fear and eventually speak with our faith. Paul says that love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. And I would say he really got that right. Love bears all things, even Messiahs, even unexpected pregnancies. So what will you bear into the world out of great love? I can't wait to see what it is. Amen.